Hello and welcome to FS Drew. FS Drew is the region's first podcast focusing on all things insurance and insurtech here in the UAE and the wider Middle East. I'm Vidya. I'm the founder of Forward, a startup that works with insurance companies to build their go-to-market digital propositions. And hi, I'm Ranjit Philip. I consult with startups in the zero to one stage and help them with strategy, business model development and go-to-market. So today we are very fortunate to have with us Babur, CEO of insurancemarket.ae and group chief executive of Afia Brokerage Services. So this was an interesting episode. Number of things that came up, Vidya, you want to kick us off with a few that stuck to you? Yeah, no. So I think the whole pertinent question around Alfred and their whole marketing strategy, which is always the standout, right? When it comes to insurancemarket.e, they do yeah. that very well. They've had this Alfred from the very beginning, I think, of that brand itself and stayed on and they use that, that brand identity quite strongly. I wanted to hear how we thought their strategy changed. Ironically, he said his strategy remains, continues to remain the same which is simply because they really keep up to what the customer requirements are. And they constantly, it feels like they're constantly listening to the customers, right? And that's where they pick up the queue and they make sure their service levels are up to about beyond the standard. They have a certain way of experience in terms of purchase, claims, etc. And obviously for me, a couple of things, AI, I mean, it's interesting to see that a CEO of a top insurance company or broking company is looking at AI so closely and in integrating AI to almost everything that they do. And so this is not just what we read in the McKinsey Quarterly, but it's happening right now. So that is extremely useful pointer for other leaders to take note of. And I think the second thing that stood out was the whole loyalty program, right? It's a standalone entity. It's got an independent PNL, and it's building its own proposition, own set of customers and own set of partners. So that's a great value addition that has come out of this whole enterprise, which, which uh, it's non-intuitive. You would, it's not really connected with insurance, but it's great to see that it came out of the whole insurance proposition. Yeah. Which is so clever, right? Which shows the business acumen as well, because he clearly said that it, he, it was started off as it started off as just a simple loyalty program for the insurance market or e customers, but it has gone on to being this acquisition platform for the partners and they're able to cross-pollinate services and they can see that it's beneficial for all parties. Um, so on that note, let's get on with the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you enjoyed listening. Today we have with us Avinash Babur, CEO of insurancemarket.e, which is potentially the most popular insurance brand in the UAE. Avinash, it's great to have you with us. It's been something that we wanted to do for long. Finally, welcome to SS Drew. Great to, great to be here. Thank you. Looking forward to this. Awesome. Great. So I'm going to deep dive into the first question. Typically, we ask, how did you get into insurance? We know you come from an insurance family that sort of feels natural. But tell us what inspired you to start insurancemarket.e. What inspired me to start was I always had this entrepreneurial bug. And the grand vision was to become a filmmaker and film director. Oops. But I didn't want to climb that ladder because it's brutally tough making it in Bollywood or whatever you want to call it. My idea was that let's just, like I've seen my family do very well with insurance. So let's just get into insurance, make X million that I had in mind and then quit and become a, be able to fund my first two or three films and live life happily ever after. So that's how I got into insurance. So it was a kind of, I used to call it the seven year plan. Now, once I got into the game, 
I realized that I can't just sit around and I also realized that I don't enjoy cold calling in sales. So I had to yeah. figure out a way to get enough leads. And that's how Insurance Market or he was born. Wonderful. Well, this is awesome. I, I'm like, I already have a couple of pathways to take us through into filmmaking and the million dollar or the X million number and all, but we'll save yeah. that. <laughs> Maybe another podcast. All right. Now, while building your business and growing your business, I think you touched upon a little bit in terms of the leads. What are the biggest challenges you face? And this was probably the first mainstream, I would say, an online insurance aggregator or marketplace, if you will. It would be lovely to know what are the steps you took to start and what are the challenges you faced. Yeah, sure. When I came into the business, we were a boutique type of environment. Dad had built a great quality business with great reputation. It has already been in business 15 years at that point. We were a team of 20 employees and the biggest strength, I would say, or one of his biggest strengths was the relationships he had with the underwriters. And he only worked with really a few, but really good, strong, like the strongest names in the market. So that was a starting point and it was his principles. There were certain foundational things that he believed in very strongly and which I believe in too. I just inculcated those. It was those. And along with that, the, the lack of resources, I would say. So look, it's fantastic that straight up from day one, I was in a licensed insurance brokerage. And we know that many of our counterparts or many insurtechs generally struggle with just getting the regulatory stuff right. So yep. that was a big advantage from day one. But on the other hand, we had no concept of raising capital loss or muting our shares or VCs weren't even that active in 2010 uh, from mm -hmm. what I believe in. We weren't a VC type organization. We were a traditional mm -hmm. insurance broker. And then there was my dad's perspective on you can only spend what you earn. It, it became a case of me selling a policy and then trying to reinvest the revenues from that to yeah. build insurance market on a day. It was literally like that. To the extent that when I got my first credit card, because I was 21 at the time, I got it from Rack Bank with a 15,000 or 20,000 dirham limit. So I like quietly started buying Facebook advertising. And I didn't even have a salary at that time just started buying Facebook ad ads to try and generate leads. And, but from there, that's how we got going. Uh, and I think the big leap was the fact that I could sell uh, or in a given day, I would be working on a Rolls Royce, followed by a group medical, followed by a home, followed by a travel policy, and then close the day with a life policy. I was working on every lead that I could, every type, every line of business that I could work on. Right. And that gave me the kind of understanding of the different dynamics for each line of business. I had already got my ACI at that point, so I could qualify as CEO. So then it was just a matter of time before I could get my dad on board with the idea that, look, IntrosMarket.ae is going to be fine. Let's rebrand. Let me take over as CEO and he can, and he was a premeditated plan from, big, from the beginning. And which is why I came into the business to begin with, which was for him to transition himself out of the business. He, he had said that he'd been doing it for 30 years and he had done enough in the insurance world. He wanted to go and pursue other things, other dreams, other things in life. And so that's how it panned out to be. So Excellent. about four or five years into that, into me joining, I took over as CEO. But, and at the end of the day, like then everything became in transmarket.ae. So today the legacy portfolio, the original portfolio makes up about two to 3% oh, of nice. our portfolio. And then I remaining 97, 98% would be the transmarket.ae business. Got it. Got it. And you're obviously referring to, which is the broking yes. house that you had. Yeah, uh, yeah. And did you, now this is, these are all very interesting. There's an entrepreneur, a senior entrepreneur and an entrepreneur who's trying to make out, make it out on his own. 
and you have to say, prove yourself that you can do it before you actually get that mantle passed on. It's a very interesting challenge and dynamics there as well, isn't it? Not just the business aspect. Yeah, for sure. And the challenges are different, as they say, right? The zero to one is a journey, which is extremely difficult. And yeah. sometimes maybe even arguably harder than one to 10. And that's yeah. maybe our story to an extent. Absolutely. So yeah, the father became like a VC in some sense where you had to convince him, you had to really bring that yeah. whole hustling culture in to In some him. sense, it was VC where it was all yeah. the kind of platform and the, let's say an incubator would be the right term yeah. for it. Correct. Uh, the reason I don't say VC is because I could never raise any money <laughs> from him. Okay. okay, that's interesting. Okay, awesome. In the lifetime of Alfred and insurance insuranceMarket.e so far, You've seen many insurtech brands come and go. How, what is the secret sauce of the brand remaining still relevant? And how do you really go above and beyond the competition? Yeah, I think it's because we never identified ourselves as an insurance or an insurtech or an insurance broker or anything. We just didn't term it anything. We just had this obsession with delivering value to our customers so that we can onboard more customers and then retain more customers. And it was as simple as that. And then everything we built was around that. How can we be, even with underwriters, how can we build sustainable portfolios for them so that they allow us to retain more customers? So everything yeah. is around this central concept of being able to onboard more customers and then retain more customers over time. Fantastic. And just for our viewers, Alfred is right behind behind me. He has, he's, he's aged a little bit in the last 10 years, but he's still standing strong. He's standing strong. Yeah, yeah. he's got some Botox and stuff. No, you should actually tell us about Alfred's plans as well at some point. We released in the interview. What is he going to do? Is he going to go into a family? Is he going to go old or whatever? But yeah, great to know his plans as well. Ranjit, you want to take on the next one? Yeah, sure. So now stepping back a little bit, we went through your founding story. Now, if you look at the UAE market as a whole, what are your thoughts? It'd be good to know. Many leaders criticize it for being a price-sensitive market. And to be honest, a number of markets like the UK market is also extremely price-sensitive. And most brand communications focus on that aspect. Which came first? Is it the customer needs that was on pricing alone and not really features? Or is it the industry driving the price down and taking it to the lowest point? What's going on here? See, if you take a look at it, I would like to challenge this view that it's a price-conscious market. Because I feel in my thesis is that what tends to happen is because the price conscious part of the market is so loud, we feel that everybody is like that. But in my view, around 10 to 20% of the market is price conscious because 10 to 20% of the cheap insurance companies, sorry, mm -hmm. the cheap insurance companies, which are, let's say, 30, 40 of them in the market out there, were playing the price game only, no value prop, only price. Yeah. Those companies have not more than 10 to 15% market share. The cheap aggregators who are selling the price comparison website, they don't have any market share. They don't have even 1% market share. There has been one company that since the day I've been in business has been about 15% cheaper than the cheapest option woman. They've right. recapitalized like four times, right? Wow. That company, if it was a price conscious market, would have the whole market, because they've been cheaper for 12 years since I've been in business, they do not even have 1% market share. And I'm talking about motor. They've been cheaper on motor. They've been cheaper on motor, TPL. So we tell ourselves it's a price-conscious market. But if it is a price-conscious market, the guys that actually have market share would be the cheapest. 
and they're not. The guys right. that actually have market share, your ex-company Vidya, RSA, they have one of the larger players. They're not, they're not cheap by any means, right? Yeah. They're not playing the price game. Of course, yeah. you have to compete and you got to compete with the right competitors. But it's not a price conscious market. So we've realized that we've tested, we've done things, we've done discounts, we've done everything. At the end of the day, the customers want value. Customers are intelligent. They're, I'm not saying customers are going to overpay. And we're not an aspirational product. We're not LVMH that we can slap on extra margins just because of brand. But it's not about price. It's not about just being cheaper. It's about the overall value prop you provide. Um, because if it was just about being cheaper, then 90% of the motor market would be TPL. But in reality, a very small percentage of the market is TPL. Most people actually buy comprehensive insurance, which they don't have to buy. We say car insurance is compulsory. TPL car insurance is compulsory and most people don't buy that. That's right. right. Meet 10 people. Generally speaking, 9 out of 10 would be having comprehensive insurance for their car. So I would argue it's actually not a price conscious market. We tell ourselves it's a price conscious market because it's easy to drop price and get sales in the short. But I think the real game has been about building value proposition. And the guys who have market share, all the biggest insurance companies, they have always known that. They have always, brokers or whoever may keep telling them it's a price conscious market. They never entertain that, which is why they've never even gone to the price comparison websites. Yeah. So it's a combination of service and proposition that the leaders are focusing on. Yeah, service, your brand, how well, as an insurer, how well capitalized you are. What's your credit rating? Like... Yeah. Can you actually pay my claim? Your claim service, your user experience. Do you have sticky CX or are you a pain to deal with? Yeah. And, and yeah, brand recognition. Do I know who you are? Do you have Google reviews or do you just claim to be cheaper? Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. No, in fact, uh, the past, I think two, three years, there has been a strong perception in the market that market has become, or the customers have become very price conscious. And in fact, when we did an analysis of, I think, the results of last year, and we were looking at that, uh, weren't we, Ranjit, with Badri, and how we saw a lot of them were subpar. And it was just, they've cut prices because that's what came as the feedback and they just went below even the minimum premium that's stipulated by the regulator and that the repercussions will be felt now. You will see consolidation and what not happening. But generally, I think there's a perception. No, the thing is that the Badri report looks at listed companies because that's the data that's available. And those listed companies put together don't have more than 10-15% market, market share. And they have done this to themselves because they have nothing else to really sell on. Right? They've not put in the work. They don't have any inherent competitive edge. So if you don't have that, all you can do is sell on price. Yeah. You have, they all actually work with the same reinsurers as well. So what do you bring to the table as an insurer? Yeah, there's no innovation there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just sticking on to that whole structure of how should you run a successful insurance brand itself. Tell us a little bit more about the corporate structure of insurancemarket.ae. Is it privately owned brand of Afias? I think you mentioned that. We understand in the recent past as well, there was an investment that came in from Cadence Zone. What are your expansion plans for the brand itself? Yeah, we're pretty much wholly owned, family owned. Uh, business. There's no separate structure. Afia Insurance Market or AE, it's all one. Insurance Market or AE is a trademark of Afia Insurance Brokerage Services and is our brand name for all intents and purposes. 
And uh, with regards to Creative Zone, yes, they weren't an investor into the company, but they did buy a single digit secondary stake. And that was a strategic type of move for us, more around because they have so many companies in there as they, as operators of free zones, they manage their trade licenses and things like that for so many companies. They had a lot of insurance business to introduce and manage, um, yep. and they are themselves shareholders of many companies. So it just made sense to, for them to have a long-term partnership as opposed to just these introducer agreements, which tend to fall apart very quickly in our business. Uh, but to have a real long-term meaningful skin in the game type of partnership in the insurance space. And I think that was very forward thinking of them and certainly paid off. Uh, so in 2019, they came on board and it has been a fantastic relationship for us. But it's been a purely strategic move on our part. For all intents and purposes, we've never actually had any investment per se, and we've been a completely bootstrapped business. Okay. Oh That's fascinating. Okay. Uh, and your plans on expanding the brand in other geographies or anything around that? Yeah, geographies is tricky. That's the kind of obvious thing to ask. And I get asked that pretty much on a daily basis. I need to just try and assess, is there, a, is there something I can bring to the table in another market? Is it the tech? Yeah. Is it some specific know-how? Is there a secret sauce? And then the execution risk of it, as in, all said and done, we have only, let's say, 5% market share here. Is it worth me distracting my management team and going into another market? I don't have money to raise or investors to satisfy or a, like a story to come up with. I'm just, my focus is purely on kind of value creation. So I think as of now, there is plenty of work to do here yeah. and we've got our hands full. And I think there's plenty of opportunity here. I think Dubai and the UAE are the most vibrant market in this part of the world and certainly even more broadly, globally, what the most vibrant markets. So when you're in this kind of space, I don't know if it's worth the distraction. And at the same time, building tech for insurance is extremely difficult. Yeah, and especially if you're bootstrapped. So I think when our tech is in a place where I believe that it can be ported over to another market without too much effort and where it can bring value to that market, I would certainly be interested. Yeah. On the flip side, other startups, they haven't really made a dent in one market and then immediately year two, KSA, year three, yeah. EG. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... It's... Yeah. Like I'm still finding product market fit. Like yeah. we're still figuring out if it's a price conscious market or not. We're yeah, still yeah. figuring out what do customers really more want. So it, things inevitably take longer in insurance. It's not because of the people working in insurance. It's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, there's lots of things to consider. Okay, uh, now going to Alfred and we understand there's a loyalty program as well, which basically adds more value to the insurers and purchasers. What do you see that as a business model that sticks to your core insurance market or AE or is it a standalone rewards play what is the business model there how does it work be interesting yeah it started out as the former but has transpired to become the latter okay. so we now have it completely as a separate business okay. company incorporated separately separate pnl and it's doing extremely well it turns out that a lot of companies want to associate with our brand give our policy holders special deals and as a result of that, they want to collaborate with us on marketing. They want to collaborate with us on specific sales campaigns and things like that. And it turns out that many companies also want loyalty programs themselves. So yeah. 
when you put all of these things together, there is enough demand for us to create a kind of ecosystem for rewards, offers, and just a loyalty ecosystem. And there are a lot of them already out there, but I think yes. the edge we have is the incumbent audience that we already have and uh, their loyalty to us. And as a result of that, partners being willing to take a leap and provide deals that they otherwise wouldn't provide. And that just allows us to invest more in our brand, more in our marketing. And, and I think also what's unique to us is that we don't look at things as a VC play or as a tech play. We just look at business as business. And right. so hopefully we can build out an app that, that, that stands to compete with some of the leading super apps, but not in direct competition, more with our rewards and services focus. So we do have a quite a big grand vision for that. We often sit in these meetings when we realize that actually this thing has a lot of potential. It could even end up being bigger than insurance market or AE. Interesting. Very interesting. And I can see that if you said it's a standalone business, so it could be part of credit card portfolios, airline portfolios. There's a number of partnerships that are possible. And we've already done a few of those. We call them affiliate partnerships, and that just increases the user base of the platform. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we're, the partners that we're working with are also now all revenue generating partners. So it allows us to build the brand of my Alfred in itself as an independent brand. And thereafter, the goal is soon enough to convert our current users into premium members and have all insurance market or AE policyholders become premium members for as long as they are holding a valid policy and open it up beyond insurance market or AE customers to standard users as well. Are there any stats you can share with us having now shown this? What's the user base you're talking about? How many downloads do you get? Because I was trying to look at it and then I saw there was an invitation code that's required. So now I get it that you've got to be holding up policies from insurance market. Yeah. Yeah, so we're onboarding about 30-40% of our daily policy production. We're, I don't know if I can give a specific number, but overall we have, because the app was just being launched, but we're onboarding. So I think in a 12 months period, we will have over 100,000 users. But our focus is daily active users and monthly active users. Yeah. At the end of the day, just users doesn't mean anything. And that's yeah. just from the premium membership. Once the standard membership goes live, we can have our own acquisition strategy for that. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And do you think loyalty program generally for insurance proposition makes sense even now? Because a lot of them obviously have jumped into that whole bandwagon. Does it have a tangible impact on the top line or the bottom line? I think so. It depends on what your value proposition is. And it depends on how well you execute like anything else. The idea is not pathbreaking or genius in any way. It depends on how well you can execute it. And then that also is dependent on how well you are able to procure deals for your policyholders. And that depends on your muscle power, your market reach, your brand brand equity and so on. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Now... I'm going to step into and put on my marketing hat and I want to dig a little deeper into the whole, your approach to insurance market.e's marketing itself. It, it has to be one of the must have a highest brand recall for sure across industries. And your marketing approach came at a time when it was very new, it was fresh, people didn't understand it. And it was always seen as an expense line. And I remember working in my previous role, we were always, and it was, it was a hard push to get marketing to, to be seen other than just an expense life. 
Now tell us how has been that whole journey for you, how you started off in terms of your marketing landscape and how it has changed over the last four to five years when there's a lot more digital awareness that's there in the market itself. I think when you're a bootstrap business, you don't have a choice but to figure it out. And what we figured out was that in our case, in, when you're talking about insurance, it's not an aspirational product and it's actually not even a price sensitive product. It's more something that people procrastinate on, leave till the last minute and then just need to get done in order to like complete whatever they're trying to do, whether it's buy a car or make sure their family's health insurance is there and not expired and stuff like that. So for us, it was about being top of mind always. And so when you are, when you quickly need insurance to get sorted, you just, the first thing that comes to your mind is insurancemarket.ae and then you get a quick response and it all gets taken care of. So for us, marketing is, and brand are not just the approach to advertising or client acquisition, but it's having this well-stitched approach for the entire kind of sales cycle so that right from the time the client enters a funnel till they get to a renewal and claim, we have this experience that we can offer it, that is of a certain standard and quality. And then that's what we promote. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. But you're saying that in terms of the channels itself or the way you have maintained the core remains the same, which is you want to communicate your principles. You want to be able to be extremely available for the customers. The channels yes. might be, but the strategy remains pretty much there. Yeah, Got it. exactly. And okay. each of these, sorry, go on. Now I was going to say each of these strategies should wash its face and should be be less expensive to acquire customers than what you make out of it. It's that's the approach you are using. Yeah, so it's counterintuitive to what I said, but. On the one hand, I said, when you're bootstrapped, you have no option but to figure it out. Otherwise, you're dead from day one. But on the other hand, advertising is impossible to measure. There's that saying, right? Like 50% of advertising yeah. works. Just don't know which 50%. Yeah. That's so true. I still don't know what's, what works and what doesn't work. You just go for it, you know? Yeah. You know, but that's great. That's a great thing that you are actually saying it because I think the industry may be looking at you guys when it comes to standards of marketing. But then you're saying that it's fine that you don't know some components of it. You need to reach out to the customer and that's the core, right? Yeah. And then it's, you've got to build your own models of how you measure, right? Yeah. But you can only measure the input. The output is impossible to measure. Yeah. yeah. That measure itself, maybe I can just merge that question, Ranjit. What are the metrics that you look at when you're looking at measurement itself or marketing measurement itself? For us, everything revolves around conversion rate and retention rate. Because I, like I said earlier, we talk about our goal is how can we onboard more customers and retain more customers. And everything we do is in order to achieve that goal. Now from that, you want to see that when you are, the thing is you can never really measure advertising, like I said, because on the other hand, I don't have the patience to say, Let's keep everything else equal and change one thing. Yeah. Let's run a test. It just doesn't work in business. You're constantly testing 10, 15, 20 things at the same time. And then everyone has an opinion as to what's working and what isn't working. So that's the reality of it. So I would say that if, and that's why a lot of our, a lot of players in the market, let's say, I won't name the type of channel, but all other players in the insurance industry, being insurance people, we want to measure, right? We want to know what's our loss ratio. Yeah. Yeah, you're not built to advertise then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But that whole thought process is not in yeah. them. 
we are all yeah. constantly risk averse. So you got to measure, otherwise let's not do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then that's that's cash twenty two because then every time you do advertise, it costs you a lot, and you don't have any to benchmark. And then you run short term campaigns, which even cost you more. Whereas we have been buying advertising for twelve years and consistently scaling up every year. The value that we can get in buying is a competitive edge as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, your CPA has come down in that sense. Now, again, you've touched upon some stuff about digital and technology and measurements. So it's obviously we have gone, we have been very good. We have gone halfway through the podcast and not mentioned generative AI, chat, GPT. So kudos to us. But I think mm-hmm. now is time to get into it. So what is what do you think are the most important trends, technology trends happening in the industry? Is AI one of those things that you need to watch? Are there any projects that you're looking at? Would be great to know. Yeah, for sure. Like about six years ago, I sat my team down and said that in 10 years time, every company will have to be a tech company. That phase of the cycle. Just yesterday, I believe, I sat down down with my team and said, okay, take that back. In five years from now, every company will have to be an AI company. And just have to figure it out. And we've got to think about how we can bring into AI, bring AI into everything we do. So even in that ebook at that time, we didn't speak much about it. I didn't write much about AI, I believe. But it's a case of not just chat GPT or using it for writing letters for HR and stuff like that. I think we've got to think a lot deeper and it has to to serve or be deep within the very fabric of the business. And then at the end of the day, it's the business, right? So what's your value prop as a business, what's your goal? So for us, it's customers and acquisition and retention of customers. So yeah. how can we do, how can we use AI to improve their experience? So uh, for me, AI has to be very deep within every single thing that we do. And one of, for an example, what we did is we said it's mandatory within all our PRs within for our tech team, the business requirements, which then go to the UI UX guys and then goes to engineering but all the business requirements that come from us for every tech project need to have an ai section and i want to see it demonstrated there that we've had a good long deep thought about what ai can do for us here i think uh, we've just got to get on with it and we have to stop talking about digital transformation it's been 25 years since we talk about digital transformation and cloud i mean you just start talking about ai transformation so for us Everything is about AI transformation. And the, the thing is that AI transformation is a forcing function for digital transformation. Because correct, in order correct. to get the data to a certain place for you to be able to do something with it using AI, you've got to have digital transformation in place. Yeah, I think right. for us to approach it at least is now call everything AI transformation and not digital transformation. Yeah, I mean, it's organizations that have got to be default AI first rather than as yeah. an afterthought. Which is crazy right now to talk about because three years ago, I used to sit with insurance companies and explain to them what APIs are and stuff. (laughs) Crazy. Now you've just dropped that P and it's AI now. So Avinash, where do you see early applications of AI in your business? Is it sales and marketing, personalization or the operational aspect? Everything. It has a role to play in everything. The question is the how and we change our mind on a daily basis. The reality is that no one's really figured out yeah. how to do it and what exactly to do because you've got a hugging face and every day there's two new models to think about. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It has to be in every aspect of what you do. It just has to, you just have to think about how something can be done better 
and more easily. But yeah. you don't have to look at AI as replacing your CEO or a key strategy or key decision maker. It's more about how can AI support the, the let's say, the lowest level of hierarchy of your organization. And that's yeah. where it needs to start. Yeah, it's a productivity augmentation tool for now instead yeah, of I agree. instead of AI as a you know, replacement of human beings. That's yeah. what. Yeah, but eventually we get to a point where you'll just have a Zoom call with Alfred and you'll have your policy. That won't be necessary because you'll just think of a policy and Alfred will give you your policy. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I think yeah, just yesterday the news broke, right? Lemonade were able to settle claims in two seconds and in that whole two seconds then bought was able to compute a bunch of things, run anti-fraud algorithms and so on and so forth and say your claims approved and the bank notification sent, which is yeah. phenomenal, I think. I mean, and they've yeah. obviously put your AI to the right use. Yeah. And yeah, that's perhaps a way to look at it itself. Yeah. I'm just now talking about the whole entrepreneurial env environment that we are in. We see a lot of insurtech and interest in this market. VCs are interested, accelerators and incubators and whatnot are interested in this whole insurtech phase itself. Now, what would, what advice would you give to those aspiring entrepreneurs? How should they be approaching their whole proposition and brand in this funding environment that we find ourselves in? Yeah, so when it comes to insurtechs, mainly broadly, I would look at them as two categories. You're either serving insurers or you are getting into the distribution space with a unique product or something. You may have a reinsurer or whatever. Or like us, you're, you're independent, you have multiple insurers. So when you're serving an insurer, you're, you're an IT provider for an insurer. Okay. Oxymoron situation because insurance and IT do not go hand in hand easily. Right. So will, when you talk, and then on the other hand, if you talk about today, cloud and digital transformation, VCs will not be interested. They want to hear AI and blockchain yeah. and everything that you do. I don't know too much about that space, but I just find it extremely scary if an, an entrepreneur is taking that on all the best to you but just beware that vcs will want one type of approach and in, when you sit across from insurers you'll be sitting there scratching your head and thinking okay this will be interesting because how will i implement these kind of solutions when these guys are still like one of the major ceos one of the largest insurance company ceos told me that i called my so he was relatively new in his position taking over one of the largest top five insurance companies in the UAE. And he was, he was new in his position. So he had this one idea for this kind of functionality that he wanted to build in the system. So he called his chief of IT and the guys, yeah, let me just figure out this Wi-Fi issue we're facing and I'll come to you. That's where we're at. So just beware. So, yeah. so that, on the distribution side, you mentioned Lemonade, right? So the thing is, do customers really care? And when I talk to customers, they couldn't care less about insurance. They couldn't yeah. care less. Will my customer want to switch on, switch off their insurance? I'm sorry, no. No. They couldn't care less. They want, if it's automated and they leave their house and it switches on, switches off, they say a few, maybe. But will they switch on, switch off their insurance or go pay as you go or let me give you a hundred dirhams back at the end of the year because you didn't make a claim. Customers do not care. So do something that your policyholders will actually care about. And that's hard in insurance because they don't really want to care about insurance. It's right. not an aspirational product. Within that framework, if you can come up with a good idea, then if you can find a way to acquire hundreds of thousands of customers in a way which is unique, then you are bringing value to the underwriting side of things. 
and then you're onto something. Interesting. It may sound a little hard and tough to swallow, but this, these are the realities of the industry. And sometimes you can get rosy-eyed when you are a startup founder and you don't think through the reality of the customer and the industry. And I think you're exhorting us to focus there. So that's a good point. Yeah. And there is a lot of opportunity here. Like the very fact that we're saying these things and giving you this Wi-Fi example and all of that just shows that there is the opportunity, but it also shows you where the challenge lies. Yeah. Yeah. In short, tech is not a technology problem. It's a people problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a tech. It's all problems. It's only problem. Yeah. But yeah. the one thing that it's not is a technology problem. Yeah, absolutely. I think you touched upon it in the sense that nobody is waking up to buy insurance, right? So what if there is no insurance sale involved? What if it's this buzzword of embedded insurance? And with that, that lens, could you also share your thoughts on the future of the industry and where it's evolving, where it's going? It's very relevant in some cases. We have seen that like Emirates, your AIG, add-on of insurance. It's a hit, yeah. super hit. Free insurance that dealers provide yeah. with, with car, super hit. Relevant in some areas, but to an extent, those guys at that electronics show, store will hard sell you, offer you bought a TV to spend yeah. 10% of the TV's price on some kind of accidental damage cover. Scam. That's yeah. a scam. What you're providing, is it of value or is it a scam? The ones that do provide value are actually already doing well. All of these new ideas for embedded that come out that I see, scam. Because you can insure your whole home for 99 dirhams or 199 dirhams for with your personal belongings and contents, a small limit, but you can. Yeah. So what sense does it make for me to spend 200 dirhams or 100 dirhams to buy accidental cover for my phone along with that phone? Right. That's, yeah. And right. we know it's a scam because 90% of that money goes to the distribution part and only 10 and maybe goes towards the risk. Is it bringing value or is it a scam? Secondly, is it bringing convenience to the customer or is it friction? Because now all of a sudden, if there's one more thing for a customer to think about when they're buying X, whatever they're buying, now they've got to think about this insurance thing and then they're comparing, when they're comparing what they're getting against an alternative of whatever they buy. Is it scam or not? Is it bringing value to me or not? How much am I paying extra for this? Do I need this or not? It's friction. It may delay the buying process of the yep. thing you're betting the insurance to. So these are the things I would want to pay attention to. And in terms of crystal ball gazing, where do you see the future of the industry locally, globally, and also how insurancemarket.ae will evolve and grow? And you can even include Alfred in the mix. I think industry globally, you're looking at a continuing hardening environment because of the macroeconomic situation we've been in, the geopolitical situation we've been in. You know, suddenly everyone, at one point, everyone was talking about cyber insurance being the future. Now nobody wants to write cyber insurance because they realize the risk is 10 times more than what we thought it would be. Yeah. A hardening environment, which will make it harder for innovators, right? Because we're seeing price conscious consumers don't want it unless it's cheap. And then on the other hand, underwriters don't think they're getting enough premium. So you know, that's on the macro, broadly speaking. All the insurers, okay, coming regionally or locally, as a result of this macro environment, insurers are struggling to renew their reinsurance treaties. 
and they do not have the capabilities in-house to retain risk. That brings about challenges around solvency because they've underpriced previous portfolios and they do not have scope to, you know, get out of that. Of course, the Padri team has educated us enough in the recent past about how the receivables that are there on most of the balance sheets aren't actually going to be receivable. So what do we do about that? So there are some concerns, I think, and uh, the regulators are working actively to address them. They need to take a soft approach as we're seeing they're doing, because if they suddenly shut everything down, then it's a systemic problem. I think the regulators are doing a great job of bringing in financial reporting standards and enforcing the solvency requirements, which have always been there. So, So that's more locally from an insurer perspective. From a distribution perspective, over my career, I've seen brokers only take more and more share. I think the broking proposition continues to be extremely strong. But as is the case with most mature markets, you will not have so many players in such a fragmented way having the largest player also having a single-digit market share. That I think is not sustainable because inevitably you'll have some people bringing more resources together, leveraging on more and just using economies of scale to have a better value proposition. Yeah, that's how I see it. But I've seen over the past 10, 12 years, there has been, when I entered the market, car dealers were supposed to be the only way in the future to get car insurance. And they are going to just take over. Then it became fashionable for people to, for insurers to say, oh no, we need a direct play. And putting a lot of capital behind that. And then that lasted I don't know, two, three years. Then for a short period, people started looking at price comparison websites. That died down quick. Most of them came and went out of business. Some of them burnt a lot of capital, still continue to burn a lot of capital. So that model is dead in my view. So what's left really? Banks, yeah, there was a big, of course, the whole bank assurance thing was a big thing. you know, And that's something I will support that. Yeah, maybe it makes sense. There are other markets, but... No, from the, as far as the UAE is concerned, because of its dynamics, whether it's the size of the market, the diverse nature of the market, the transient nature of the market, it turns out that an independent insurance broker is the best business model for distribution for the UAE. And I don't see that changing the foreseeable future. That doesn't mean it has to be a traditional insurance broker. You need to go to an office to buy insurance. Of course not. It's going to be about which insurance brokers can properly deploy the use of technology so as to improve their customer experience and what capabilities they can build so that they are not like those other insurance companies we mentioned that does tries to do everything at a lower price but really has some special thing that they bring to the table and with regards to insurance market or AE we want to continue growing we 20x by business we 20x our business by growing 30% a year that I don't see any reason to play around with that. So if we can maintain that type of growth rate going forward as well, we hope to be able to be one of the players that have meaningful market share. We have majority or we have the largest market share from all of the players in the market for the markets we serve, which is retail and SME. But I think we can have meaningful market share, which would be a 30-40% of the market. And that's what our kind of big, hairy, audacious goal is. In terms of lines of business, still, I think motor and health will be major lines. We've seen SME do extremely well. We've seen life uptake really improve after the new 149 regulations. Home continues to grow organically in a consistent way, yet is still small. 
and the regulatory environment or the government, governmental environment generally is pro-insurance. They want more people to be insured. And contrary to what you hear around you when you meet people, I genuinely like the approach of the regulators here. They are very supportive of a free market and they value the ecosystem, all of the players in the ecosystem. As we have said, brokers continue to take more and more share and that's because there's value they're providing to the market and customers want brokers and insurers want brokers. That's why brokers are taking more and more market share. There will always be haters. So there have been a lot of haters that have tried to lobby against the broking fraternity. But the regulator has, I would say, been very sensible and reasonable in understanding that let the market choose what it wants. So yeah. long as there is no foul play and, you know, there is adequate supervision to make sure everyone is playing in a fair and reasonable way. And so I actually really appreciate that approach. And so as they continue with that perspective, inevitably some of the brokers, some of the insurers that have been operating with unsustainable uh, business models will have to either consolidate, but more likely will probably just get phased out and die natural deaths because that's it's very hard to take on liabilities as a business, even if it's coming to you as a great deal, because it's just there's so many unknowns when when you're looking at them. I've looked at a couple of acquisition opportunities, but it's just so risky because there are so many unknown unknowns in that type of messy situation. That it's again, it goes back to what we were saying. Is it worth my team working on this as a distraction or is it a distraction? And I'd rather they just continue doing what they're doing and grow the business organically. So, yeah, these are my general views. No, that, that's great. And I think, as you mentioned, growth pattern at a certain point in time would it become more sensible to become a manufacturer to retain more of the value chain or would you always remain a broker? Is something to. I don't think we're in the game of retaining risk, but we definitely want to play a role in manufacturing. We're already doing that. We want to engage with insurers and reinsurers to create products because we are where the rubber meets the road and we can play a role in curating propositions that work for both sides. I think that's a role we can play well. And, uh, but at the same time, it's... Uh, and at the same time, also it builds our value prop, it builds our competitive edge, something unique to us. But we don't see ourselves becoming risk takers as such. That said, we do want our insurers' portfolios to be sustainable. That's one of the grand principles that my dad taught me from the day I joined. There's no point in producing business that doesn't work for the insurer because then you're not going to be able to retain it. So we want the portfolios to work for the insurers and in consideration for that, they are willing us to give us some skin in the game, give us some upside, which of course makes complete sense and we are aligned in that way. But yeah, I don't see us taking on risk because at the end of the day, we also have to be unbiased and independent. That's what the insurers like about us. That's what our customers like about us. The moment we become a participant in the ecosystem, then there's a conflict of interest as well. Yeah, got it. Understood. Perfect. I think this is a great way to bring it to our exciting section. This is the quick fire round. But essentially, you got to be rapid, full of fire, give us all the quick answers that you can. So if you're ready, can we just jump right into it? Okay, I'll try my best. Awesome. Now, straightforward, what are your hobbies and interests outside of work? Family, watches, watch collecting. Oh. Uh, 
And I'm now a board member of my YPO chapter, which is a lot of work, takes a lot of time. YPO, I would say. As of now, these are my main hobbies outside of work. Oh, okay. And what's the most expensive watch you own? It is, uh, I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> okay, the I'll brand. Pass, because the market has been very volatile, so I'll pass. So what's your favorite book, Avinash, and why? That would be Good to Great by Jim Collins. That really resonated with me when I was at, in my third year of uni. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I was in my third year of uni and I came into the business, it was like all there for me. It just made complete sense. It's, yeah, this is a good business. Let's yeah. make it great. So yeah, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Great book, awesome. yeah. Awesome. And who's your role model? That's someone I know personally or just? Can be anyone. Up to you. You can take either one personal and one maybe everyone knows. Personal, everyone for me is my dad, for sure. I learned a lot from him and he's been, yeah, just not just work-wise, but just generally life-wise, rock-solid guy. So my dad. So when I don't know, maybe at the moment I'm looking into Bernard Arlo a lot of LVMH. Quite impressive. Uh -huh. Someone who's committed to brand, who's always focused Fine. on building brand and building scale through brand. So that resonates a lot with me. Happiness. Okay, Excellent. Right. So probably I'll take off the next few. Let's talk about Dubai. What's your favorite thing about living in Dubai? The dynamism, like the growth of Dubai itself. Very good. And I think you covered this, but what's your one, one or two words of advice for people who are looking to start their own business? One or two words? Yeah. Or sentences. Rapid, Have a growth mindset. Perfect. That's great. great. And what's your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur? Uh, being able to do whatever I want and focus on my strengths. Okay. Perfect. Very good. What's your biggest fear? AI. Second <laughs> <laughs> <can> biggest fear. <laughs> AI. <laughs> that is so awesome. For business people, I think it should be on their radar. And what's your biggest dream? Work-wise, it's getting insurance market already over the billion dirham mark. So we're on our way to get there. Inshallah, that word, we'll get there soon. Perfect. Wow. This has been superb and a fantastic way to end the rapid fire round and the entire podcast as well. So it's been superb to have you here and we hope to get you back one more time as well. Sure. For sure. It's been great fun. Thank you for doing what you guys are doing. I do listen to all of them and it's always nice to know what's going on and learn about the industry. I still need to listen to your chat GPT one. I just remember you did one about that as well. Yes, you need to listen to that one. We're looking yeah. forward to that. Perfect. Yeah. Next. Great to know that. Hi, it's me, Ranjit. If you enjoyed this episode, I request you to leave us a review. This will help us to reach more great podcast listeners like you. Thank you.